easier uh, than other months on uh, what is going on and uh, you know how I can minister through preaching of the word and, and one of the things that uh, you know kind of decided is uh, we would start this year by walking through a book of scripture almost verse by verse with that so we can get a, a good understanding of what is uh, what Paul is talking about and how we can uh, it's just this slide it's just this slide oh, just this slide gotcha so uh, you know and so since those of you online messed something up uh, earlier you know I'll uh, take care of it and, you know we're going to go through it but one of the things I also do this time of year is that I try to as I write my annual report or as some of you have uh, lovingly called it in years past my annual book uh, which tends to be uh, 8 to 12 pages uh, of you know good bedtime reading because Cooper it will put you to sleep you know have you ever read one of my annual reports you have any desire to read one of those <laughs> you know what that means I can talk about him and you'll never know you may uh, you won't ever read it this year anyway. you know but as, we, as I try to highlight one of the things I try to do is where is our world going and here's the truth of things our world is going to continue to change you know I read many of people throughout the week or at least I try to and, and the reality is even the best forecasters, and there used to be some good for people who could forecast and look out and say, you are the trends going. Every one of them realized, gone are those days. Uh, they will say this, we think this may happen, but guarantee our world will continue to change. The only constant in life is change. So every time I read this, I'm reminded of a book I read many years ago. You may want to pick it up. Change is like a sleepy. Anybody have an old sleepy? No one has an old sleepy. Okay. It, you know, is your sleepy like all discombobulated though? Or is it actually functional? It's on the birth field. It's on the birth field. So it's functional. All right. Addicts, is yours functional? All right. It's not plastic either. It's a metal one? Silver? Yeah. And it's still functional. It's almost as long as me. And it's still functional. See, we get sleepies about every year. They last two hours. <laughs> and I refuse to unwind it, to rewind it, okay? But change is like a sleepie. You better put a sleepie on a stairs to set it down. It is unpredictable which way it will go, except that. You may start something in movement, but you and I do not get to control where it ends up. I think that's the word of just wisdom as we realize things. Things will happen, and, and just because someone started something doesn't mean they understand where it is going to end, and also a word of caution. Careful what you start. You may, may not know where it will end. You may have great motives. But it won't. And so because of this truth, we may ask, and I think our world is asking, will anything or does anything stay the same? Where, where, how can I build my life upon something that the only constant is change, right? How can I go about, where can I get hope if everything around me is changing? And we see that going on and on and on. 
I'm unashamedly my, my belief is this, that Scripture never changes, that there is an absolute truth, and that is Christ. His word doesn't change, even in our changing culture. And that we have something that will stay the same. And that is the word of God. Now, if we come to a book though like Galatians, and you may ask yourself, how in the world are we supposed to read Galatians and then look at our world that is ever changing? Because Paul is never in the age we are in. You guys understand that, right? You understand the world we live in is not the same world by any stretch of the imagination that Paul ever imagined. He had not a clue that there would be a thing called the internet. He had not a clue that uh, instead of writing letters, he could just hold up a phone, take a video message, and he could watch it live as some of you are doing. Not a chance. And that's okay. But it also means as we look at Scripture, we have to remember that the Scripture was originally written in a totally different world than ours. And we all come to Scripture with a viewpoint in mind. But the question will be is what role will Scripture play? See, because we can read Scripture, and we can read Scripture as if we are above Scripture. Meaning, we read it, and I get the final say. And if I don't like what it says, well, then maybe it didn't mean anything for our world's days. So obviously, Paul didn't know what we were doing. Or I can read Scripture to say, I'm under Scripture. Meaning, when it says something and I disagree with it, it still has the authority of God. One of the things Galatians is going to teach us is who has authority. What role does authority play? I think we see in our world the erosion of authority in general. Some will call it pluralism. Some will call it whatever you want. But we have this distrust of authority. In part because I believe we have a distrust of people in general. I'm not sure I can trust Russell. Maybe he really doesn't know about concrete or cement. Which one is it? Cement. There's a difference. I still don't know the difference. Or, I mean, he could tell me for five years, I still wouldn't know the difference between cement and concrete. But there is a difference, right, Rusty? And it's a major difference, right? Okay, but if I don't believe and trust Rusty, I will tell you until I'm blue in the face, it doesn't matter. Rusty's a liar. He doesn't know cement. I know better because I heard somebody once say something. Okay? That's our world we live in, is it not? We have distrust of things. Where, but the beauty is we have a world, though, is if you will invest the time in relationships, people will trust you. And then they may trust what you say. What they will also ask is, I don't care about what you say, how do you live it? You can tell me there's no difference between, you know, eating vegetables and just throwing them out, you know? But if I see you and I say, wait a minute, you don't eat your vegetables, yet you tell me to, why would I trust you, you know? Or an easier analogy, Paul could tell me that he loves desserts. True, Paul? Absolutely. Uh, and I know this to be true because Paul eats desserts, you know? I could see his life and know there's, there's a belief there with that. That's what we're going to find, I think, within the book of Galatians. So I'm going to, we're going to start with the book of Galatians. I depends on what does Paul say in Galatians, but more, not more important, but also just as important, how does it deal with our world that we are currently in? I believe 
And yes, even though Paul and the writers of Scripture never envisioned what we deal with, that there is words submitted by divisions. And so that is the journey we're going to be on. And I'm just going to quickly try to give you some background. Why? Because I think sometimes it's important to understand below the surface. One, this was the first letter that we have in Scripture that Paul wrote, roughly about 48 A.D., Okay, so roughly about 15 years past the death and resurrection of Christ. The earliest probably book of the New Testament that, in, in, that we have. Okay, he wrote many of other letters. We don't have all of those letters, and that's okay. But what we have, I think the Lord wants us to have. And so Paul wrote this to begin with. He wrote this in response to things. He had a concern for the church. I think we need to hear his heart for the church, not just back then in 50 AD, but his heart for the church that would move forward. Our church for this. He wrote this letter to a group of churches, unlike Philippians, Colossians, unlike to some extent Romans and Thessalonians and Corinthians. That was like one church. It would be like uh, if Paul wrote to the church of St. Paris, First Baptist Church, St. Paris. Instead, this letter is to a region, right? Writing to the churches of Ohio. So everyone was going to read what was going It wasn't just a local issue. It was basically Paul's concern for the movement known as Christianity, of Christ's followers. And I think as we see his concern, we will see how it intersects today. So listen to the words. This is my own little translation. You may have it in the NIV or whatever you read from, uh, but this is kind of my own. Paul, an apostle not by or from human will, but from the will of Christ Jesus and the Lord our God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead and all the brothers and sisters who are with me, to the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins in order that he would rescue us from the evil of this age, according to the will of God, who is also our Father, and to God alone be glory from age to age. Amen. One really long sentence. There is no break in Paul's thought. He adds and adds and adds. As we will find in the book of Galatians, we're going to see that Paul's just going to hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And sometimes this book is going to be like having a two-by-four smack across your face. Okay? Uh, know that uh, whatever pain may be inflicted or dealt with on Sunday morning, I've dealt with it for seven days prior. And vice versa. Paul is going to be very quick with his words. He has a central concern, and our question is, what is the concern of Paul? What is going on that Paul, real quickly, will deal with the church of Galatia? What is going on that in the early moments, Paul said, we need to be reminded of who is central. That's what he's going to answer to. Who is central? And he starts it out real quick. He said, Paul, an apostle, 
not from humans nor by humans' will, but by the will of Christ Jesus and God the Father. Who is central? If you ask that question, you read just that line, that verse. Who is central? We see that Paul is going to say, there's, going, there's a difference when you're a Christ follower. And who gets final say? Who has authority? And he starts to bring that up. Right away, because he's going to get down a little later. And he's going to, we're going to come to find out that there are people who are coming back and are saying, hey, Paul is just a man by his own making. He's really not an apostle, like, like a real apostle. He's an imposter. And Paul says, well, wait, I'm an apostle. Not because someone said, hey, Paul, we think this is a good idea. I'm an apostle because Christ said, Paul, I'm sending you. Who is central? And we start to see. And what we need to be reminded of in 2022 is that there is a will that gets final say. And that is the will of Christ what we've been learning on Sunday nights with the teens. What is God's will for my life? How do we discern God's will? I think we, we need to do that. And I think we need to realize that Jesus calls people. He calls people. You and I don't call people into a relationship with Jesus. He calls them. We're the, we're the agents. We're the kind of, we get to help them hear the voice of God. Are you, do you feel called by God to do what you're doing? It doesn't matter if you're a woodworker. I got two woodworkers right here. You know, whether you're a woodworker or, or not. Whether you work in finances or system and, uh, analyzing processes and information, whatever that may be. As long as my friends are doing a job, I'm okay. You know? But do you believe God has called you to do what you're doing? Because if not, there's the first concern I think all have for us. Do we as a church feel that not that what we do is not just a good idea, but that God is calling us to do what we are doing? Because if not, we might as well just stop. Because if it's about you and me, if it's about our human will and desire, when the going gets tough, we will want to stop. But if we realize our call and that the will of God is greater than us, then we can lean into the one who has all power to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And I'm here to say, I think some, some of you are being called by God into what we would call ministry positions, but I believe all of us are called to be faithful in whatever setting we find ourselves in. Whether that's an administrator at a school, or a stay-at-home mom, or anywhere in between, a student, a woodworker, a bank employee, a salesperson. God has called you there. It matters. It matters. What you do matters. But God has called you to it. It matters. How would that change your perspective going into this year? How would that change what is important? But he goes on to say, right in these early chapters, we're called by Christ Jesus and God the Father. And what is the central event that Paul picks up? 
It is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is important. It is, according to Paul, and you find this in all of his letters, it is the turning point of all of life. The resurrection. And as we are reminded this new year, as we are reminded in these days, we, we can't just always talk about Jesus, but we've got to remember the resurrection is important. That proved who he said it was. But there is no resurrection. He's just a good teacher, maybe. There is no resurrection. He definitely was a liar. But there is no resurrection. He was just a crazy lunatic that we should put by the wayside. But the resurrection happened. Because of that, Paul's life was changed. Think of it. Paul was, was a good Jew. Paul was someone who believed in the Old Testament like we do. Paul is saying if there's going to be a difference with this Christ movement, with what the churches are called to be, it's, it is about the resurrection of Jesus. And that changes everything. How will that change your behavior? The struggles you will have. You know, some of you are in good points. It was easy to sing Living Hope. You're at a good place. Yeah, I got that. Well, some of you aren't. Some of you are struggling. Living hope is because the resurrection still matters. Can I have hope? Because everything around me is surrounding me. The darkness seems thick. But did, did, you re, did you remember the words that it said in there? Right? And when I saw them again and spoke them again, it, it hit me. Jesus didn't just come and kind of lightly go, okay, we'll try to focus over here. It said he tore into the darkness. When you intentionally tear something, it's not an accident. No wonder the veil tore from top to bottom. And then as we, at the end of that song, it talks about Jesus, the roaring lion. In front of the roar of Christ. The roar of Christ in your life, in my life. Where is Jesus starting to roar that we need to listen to go through? Resurrection matters because there, the resurrection, we realize we are rescued. You are rescued. You can't rescue yourself, though. You know, can you? If Jordan, you're alive, you're right? Or we're, or you still, you still are, right? Okay. If someone is drowning in the pool at the wall, can they rescue themselves? No, why not? Okay. So, in order to be rescued, do they kind of realize, have to realize they need some help? I mean, because what happens if you jump in and they fight you?
We can try to save ourselves in many different ways. And it's going to be like treading water. You can do it for a while, for a while right, Jordan? But not forever, can you? I marvel at the polo swimmers and the Olympics. I can't do nearly, you know, for five minutes, let alone as long as they do it. You know? And swimmers like Jordan in particular. You know, we can do those things. But we are rescued. The resurrection rescues us. And we need to ask from what? What, what? what are we rescued from? And this is going to become the point he's going to make over and over again. He says, we are rescued from the present evil age. And some of you right away will go, oh, yeah, just look at our world. Isn't it evil? And I want to say, caution. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He isn't just talking about the evilness around us. Well, that is true. Because if that's what he's talking about, then as he makes it known later on, then what he's saying isn't it, what he says later in the book has nothing to do with the general state of the world we live in. And it's very specific evilness that he's talking about. This evil age of the law. Not that the law was a bad thing. But the law is no longer the central component of life. The resurrection is. It's like our calendar. We have B.C. and A.D. Or in some circles, you have B.C.E. and C.E. B.C.E. before common error and common error. B.C. in another way means before Christ, A.D. Anybody know the real word for A.D.? Adamus the year of our Lord. All right? Not, you know, after Christ. But if you're not careful, you get ACDC, and then you get off the cruise. All right? Some of you got that, others of you will get it later. Some of you are too young to even know what that is. That's okay. All right? But there's a turning point. What, what, what Paul is saying is the resurrection divides things. It divides things. And if you're going to have a rescuing that is not in the resurrection of Christ, it is not a rescuing. You're just treading water. Not the law was bad, but the law isn't the final say anymore. Someone came to fulfill the law, and that was Christ. We say, why? Why would, why would that happen? Why would we be rescued? Because God wanted to. It was His will for us to know. We didn't come up with this plan. I mean, if I were God, there's lots of things that could give me. There are some people I wouldn't want to know. Probably. I mean, I know this sounds bad to say about God, I wouldn't want to know people, but there are some people that are just downright scoundrels. You know? But God says, no, I want all to come to know the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. Paul is saying, it is by the will of God that you have been rescued. By the will of God our Father, that he decided to, to fulfill the law in its entirety so that you and I could experience life today. No wonder he goes on to say, may he be glory forever and ever, from age to age. You know, there's a hint within that. 
There's a hint within that that he's saying, listen, God was to be glorified in the age of the law. And God is glorified in the age of the resurrection now. And he will be glorified in the age to come if we see the resurrection as the pivot moment of time. Don't go back to this former age where you missed the end because of God's laws. So we see, I think, what is the point of the whole book of Galatians, the centrality of Jesus Christ and the Spirit. This is the thing we will get into the learn. We see it right here in these first five verses. That's why Jesus would go on to say, as he does customarily, grace and peace to you from whom? Look in your Bibles and look on your phones and your online. Where, who, where does the grace and peace come from? Someone, I think, said it. God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We think it's a throwaway statement. And maybe to some extent it is. But you see what Paul is saying. It isn't grace and peace to you from me. It isn't about me. It isn't what I can give you, Church of Galatia. It's about what Christ can give you. You see, even in those things, if we get the centrality of the resurrection of Paul, we see things that maybe we didn't see before. Yeah, he's upset to some extent with the church in Galatia. As we'll find out next week. But he still wants them to get grace and peace to you from God our God. And our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. How fitting it is that we're going to come into communion here. I ask you, have we received the grace and peace of Christ? Can you give? Uh, you know, in our liturgical churches, our, our Lutheran churches, to some extent, our, our Catholic churches, I don't know if they say these words, I know our Lutherans do, um, and others, they will greet each other with these words, grace and peace to you from the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And the response is, also to you. We Baptists are like, ah! But no, no, no! But what if every single time you met a fellow believer, you realize that you got grace and peace from Christ. And even if I might not like you, but if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, my response ought to be, and also with you. <coughs> how would that change our relationships? How would that change how I, uh, I, I dealt with our fellow brothers and sisters? I mean, I might disagree with it, and I do. But if our centrality is in Jesus, then my response, regardless of whether or not I like it, whether or not I want to do it, is not to say to them, grace and peace to you from Christ Jesus over. And when they say that to me, I ought to just say, and also with you. What if that was our greeting this year for another? I wonder if Jesus would be a little more simple. I'm not saying we're going to go all over it, but some of you would like it. Sometimes I would like it. But you know, I think we would be reminded of why Paul, at the very beginning, is already doing He's changing the focus of attention to what really matters. 
the cross and resurrection of Christ, but the Holy Spirit that comes because of Christ. Have you received the grace and peace of Christ our Lord? Who is standing to rescue you from the evil age of trying to do it on your own? He says, here it is. Will you take it? That's why this is the Lord's table. As we go 